Heavenly Father, this morning, this afternoon, as we spend time with you, may you encourage us and challenge us and move us into a closer faith relationship and journey with you. May we sense your presence in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. In my family growing up, we've had lots of traditions, but one that stands out in my mind is one that would happen every time we'd have an event, a graduation or a birthday, some sort of celebratory event. And we're Americans, and so what do Americans do when we celebrate? We eat, right? I, I feel a little alone out here. That's what we do, right? Okay, good. And so my family, we always would eat around the table, and the, the tradition was that the person that we were celebrating, whether that's graduation or birthday, whatever it is, they would get a unique plate. It was a gift that someone gave us. Um, to be honest, I think they re-gifted it to us because they didn't think it was that cool. Whatever, we used it. And it was a bright red plate that said, you are special today. And it feels kind of neat when you're the one that gets this red plate in front of you, and then you realize you're the only one, and so you kind of feel left out because everybody else has the fine china. But the idea of this plate is that at every celebratory occasion, that you turn the plate over and you take a permanent marker and you write the date and the event that you, that you were celebrating. And that plate became a monument or a memorial to all the events that had taken place in your family. That's a cool idea. Except that we found out that the dishwasher was more powerful than the Sharpie. <laughs> and so all of our memories and our monuments and our memorials were simply washed away. All over America, there are memorials and there are monuments. In fact, I have a few, a few pictures of some of these that you'll see here in a moment. If you go up to Washington, D.C., you'll see the uh, Washington Monument. Jessica, you may have to go to the next slide there for me. The, the Washington Monument is this tall obelisk that towers up in the sky. It's, a, it's quite an awesome monument commemorating and memorializing our first president, George Washington. There's elevators inside there, but I don't think you can go up there anymore. The two windows at the top you can look out, uh, but it's a monument. It stands out in, in our nation. Uh, you could also go to, where's the next one? Oh, MLK Jr. Look at that awesome monument. The, the faithful civil rights leader. Uh, you know him well on many different reasons and many of his uh, uh, sayings and statements that are so beautiful. Uh, you, you definitely know him from his I Have a Dream speech that was given on August 30 on the steps of the, mem uh, the Lincoln Memorial. So he's memorialized on a memorial too. Uh, you can go to Hawaii and you can see the USS Arizona. It's a memorial that floats over a sunken battleship where some uh, thousand or more so, uh, sailors died as Pearl Harbor was attacked. You can even go to um, the Ground Zero Memorial. There's a picture of it. I'm sure many of you have been there. Memorializing, it's a monument that, that stands for the 2,614 Americans that died back on 9-11. Monuments and memorials are everywhere. You see them all the time. Uh, there's, there's quite a bit of drama over some of the monuments that we have in our country at this time. But they memorialize something or someone or something that happened. And this morning, I have a question to you, and, and we're going to come back to it all the time. It's simply this question here. It is, what are the monuments in your life? What are the memorials in your life of where God did something? If we don't remember those, I hope that today as we look at the Bible story that 
you'll, your mind will be jogged and your memory will, come, will be reminded of these times where God did something unbelievable. In fact, today we're going to spend some time in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. I, I hope you have your Bible with you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, maybe this is your first time in a church, maybe uh, you didn't bring your Bible with you, there's a pew Bible, it's, a, it's the blue book. Yep, Bill Alvarez has it on the front row. Um, if you want to follow along, it's on page 152. It's the same translation that I'm reading. It's the New International Version. And uh, we're going to be spending time in two different chapters, Joshua 3 and 4. So if you're thinking, I'm not going to turn to it, I'm not going to open my Bible, that's cool. But if you get bored, don't blame me. You could follow along in your own Bible. So I'll give you some context while you're turning there. So the Israelites have left Egypt, and they're heading for the Promised Land. They're headed for Canaan. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're tired, but they're knocking on the doorsteps of the promised land. They're there. They've seen some really cool stuff, too, uh, like the time that they were thirsty and water came out of a rock, or the time that they woke up starving with empty bellies, and they, they pulled back their tent, and there the ground was covered with frosted flakes, manna. Oh, man, what an awesome deal. Or the time uh, that, they, that God parted the Red Sea so they could walk through. That's an ocean, and he parts this thing. Or the time uh, every day how God would lead them with a, a cloud in front or a pillar of fire at night. I mean, they've seen some amazing things, but they're about to experience one more. And it's in Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1, that we hear the story for today. Here's what it says, Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. Here's what the orders were. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. It's almost like Joshua predicts the future. He says, get ready because God's about to do something that will blow your mind. He's about to do something amazing. Consecrate yourselves, get ready because God's about to show up like you've never seen him before. And as I think about the orders that the, the officers gave about watching for the ark to move, I kind of think it's ridiculous. The Israelites are two and a half million people. They're camped together, and this is no willy-nilly church camp out where everybody's got their own campsite, everybody's got their own on the fire pit, they all have water and electricity, some have lake views, some rented the cabins. No, this is, this is two and a half million people in a very structured format with, with roads. It's like a miniature city all in their, their tribe's name and the sanctuary is the center. And the leaders, the, the officers, Joshua, he says, look at the ark and when you see the ark moving, that's when you know to move. And I think to myself, that's impossible. I mean, think about you're there. I don't care how short or tall you are. All you see is canvas walls next to you. It's two and a half million people staying in tents. And like, how are you going to see the ark? What are y'all going to gather in the road and look down and see if you can see the ark moving? 
I mean, how are you going to do that? What if you're the short guy? You mean jump in like Zacchaeus to try and see this thing? I think it's absolutely impossible. But you know what you do when things are impossible? You keep your eyes on the ark. See, this morning, I know that there are families and spouses and children that have impossible things happening around you. And I believe that sometimes God asks you to do impossible things too. He might ask you to trust him in the middle of something where you're grasping for control of anything you can find. He might ask you to follow him when you feel like he's leading you the wrong way. He might ask you to do the impossible and wait when you feel like it's time to move. Sometimes God asks you to do impossible things, and when he does, you have to keep your eyes on the ark, and if you don't, then you're going to miss the chance to move into the promised land. In fact, Joshua, he says in verse 5, he says, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do something amazing. Sometimes God asks you to do the impossible so that he can do amazing things in your life. If he doesn't ask you to do the impossible things, then maybe he doesn't have the chance to do something that will blow your mind. Maybe his impossible that you are facing is a chance and an opportunity for your faith to grow in him as he does something amazing in your life. This morning, I know there's people here that are struggling with the impossible. Some of you, you struggle with addiction and habit that you can't shake no matter what you try. You're faced with it every day of your life. There's nothing you you can do about it, and it's your impossible. Keep your eyes on the ark because God's about to do something amazing in your life. There's some of you this morning that are painfully counting the pennies in your checkbook because you can't pay the bills, you can't pay for your kid's education, and you struggle with the finances in your home. And you know what you do? You keep your eyes on the ark because God's about to do something amazing. Some of you have pain in your hearts from broken relationships with parents and with siblings and with kids, and it hurts and it feels like you're facing the impossible. And you know what you do when you face the impossible? You keep your eyes on the ark because God's about to do something amazing. Some of you this morning are facing a health crisis in your life. You have something that's deteriorating that can never be fixed. It's just getting worse and worse. It's in steady decline. Maybe it's you or a family member, and it's impossible. And you know what you do? You keep your eyes on the ark because God's about to do something amazing in your life. And Joshua, he says, get ready, because the miracle is going to happen. Something amazing is going to happen. Here's what verse 6 says, Joshua chapter 3, verse 6. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Jump down to verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap 
a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing of the dry ground. It's pretty amazing, right? Ah, you guys don't seem too impressed. And I don't blame you. I mean, God split the the Red Sea, and now we're talking about a little creek that he split. And yet, I think that the the writer of Joshua knew that today, July 24, 2021, that we would pee, eh, cool. That's pretty cool, God. You you split a river. And so he added that tidbit in there. You saw it. It was, uh, where is it? Verse verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Have you seen a river that's in flood stage? Many years ago, I got asked to be the chaperone for the Duluth Adventist Christian School's eighth grade class trip. Some of you may know where Duluth, Georgia is. It's a little, uh, a little suburb in the ever-growing metropolis of Atlanta. And uh, when, when you're shy on chaperones, you always call the pastor, because they only work one day a week anyway, right? <laughs> so they called me, and I said, yeah, I'd love to. I'd be, I'd be happy to. So we got on the bus, and we headed up to Tennessee. We're going to go to this camp up there. And on the way, we stopped at the Okoe River. Now, if you don't know where the Okoe is or what it is, Uh, For the 1996 Olympics, not the ones that started yesterday, but the 96 Olympics that were held in Atlanta, the kayaking uh, competition was held on the Okoe River. There's all sorts of whitewater rapids up there, and it's awesome. I've rafted it many times. And part of our trip was to go to the Okoe River and do whitewater rafting. Here's the catch. For the weeks prior to this trip, it had been raining nonstop. That day, it was pouring just all day long. And the bus pulls into the raft outfitters, and I'm secretly praying to myself, I hope these eighth graders wise up. (laughs) This river, this torrent of water, white caps the entire way, and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. But you know eighth graders, yeah, this is awesome. YOLO, let's do it now. So we, we donned these wetsuits that don't really keep you warm, but they look cool if everybody else is wearing them too. We got the rafts. We talked to the raft guides because we didn't know if they were going to want to go down. And they said, absolutely, because they get paid per trip down the river. So they said, let's do it. So we put the rafts on the bus. We drive up to the top where the dam is, and, and you put your raft in at the bottom of the dam. In fact, I have a picture of it here. Here's what it looks like. Let's see if we can get it up on the screen here. You got it? There it is. There's the dam. There's like a walk bridge that goes across. And where, just where this lady is standing is this concrete ramp that goes all the way down to the water's edge where you can put your raft in the gently flowing water and then you, you take your, your trip down the way. But this is not what it looked like on the day that we were there. Uh, it was quite amazing. In fact, I have a video. It's not from the day, but it is the Okoe River in flood stage. Here's what it looked like when we were there. That's the same ramp. That's the concrete ramp with the little creek at the bottom. Look at this. There's the dam. You can't even see it anymore. <laughs> that, that's where you're supposed to walk right there. This is flood stage Okoe River. I don't think that it should be legal to raft in this stuff. We got the rafts out, and we took them down to the water's edge, and the raft guides thought for a minute, minute and they thought, how many are we going to lose today on the, on the river? They said, Let, let's go downstream just a little bit. And so they, we picked the rafts up and we walked down through the trees, through the rocks, and we got to the water and, and we put in. Now, 
the trip is supposed to be three and a half hours long, and it took 30 minutes. <laughs> That's how fast the water was moving. Non-stop white caps. We got bashed and battered and bruised as we head down the river. The last big rapid is this standing wave. It just sits there. It's non-stop. It's always there. It's called Hell's Hole. Why would you ever want to do this thing? And as we come surfing down this, this torrent, we get to this rapid, this one wave, and we, we get to the top, and it ejects me up. I'm, I still got my feet in, but I, I find myself 10 or 12 feet above the bottom of the wave, and it's terrifying. And this is what I think the Jordan River looks like as the Israelites are about to cross as they go into Jericho. It's flood stage. This is no uh, little brook where Jesus gets baptized. This isn't a little, a little creek out in the wilderness. This, this, it doesn't even have a sandy slope going in. This is a torrential deluge of water that's pouring downstream. I don't even think that the banks of the river are still intact. I mean, they've been eroded by the water as it whips by. And Joshua says, okay, here we go. Priests first. And the priests, they take this Ark of the Covenant. You know the Ark, right? It's God's presence in a box. It's the mercy seat. It's the Holy of Holies here. And they take this this ark of the covenant on their shoulders and they begin to go to the water's edge what would you have been feeling if you were the priests how strong would your faith have been and i wonder as the priests touch the water and it parts i wonder if in a very reverent way some of the priests said <laughs> the water parts the priests lead the way they go into the river and then there's that passage that we just read that says that the, the ark and the priest, they stopped in the middle of the river. Why would they stop in the middle of the river? I mean, this is God. He's leading the way. He's showing the path to the promised land, yet he stops in the middle of the river. And while I don't know the answer, I have a thought. I think that God wanted the priest to stop in the middle of the river for the people in the back. You have two and a half million people that are crossing a river. They can't cross it once. What are they, 100 or 200 wide as they go across? And that would take hours for all of the people to get across. And I wonder if the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, the one that's doing the miracle, that's doing the amazing thing in their life, if it just kept on going into the promised land, I wonder if the people at the back would have never seen the miracle that was happening. I mean, by the time they got there, it'd be dry land. They just walk on through and never thought that there was a river there. Yet God says, put me in the middle of the river so that every person can see that I'm working for them. And I, and I believe that, that God wants you to see him work in your life. I believe he gives us opportunities. Maybe it's facing the impossible, yet he wants us to see him working and doing amazing things in our life. And yet at the same time that I say that, I also believe this. I believe that God is always working for you whether you can see him or not. Always. And for those of you this morning that can't see him working, I wonder if it's for you that his, he's given you a faith-building opportunity. You can't see him. Uh, this morning, driving to church, Caffrey, my oldest son, he's with me, and uh, we come just Bear Lake Road here, and we're, we're at 430, what is this, 436? We're here, and it's so foggy, and Caffrey looks towards the church, and it's so foggy, he can't see the church, and he said, I can't see the church, but I know it's there. And I said, Caffrey, that's just like God. And for you that are in the back, maybe this is your faith-building opportunity, where you can't see him, 
but you know he's there, and he's always working for you, whether you can see him or not. But the story's not over. Not even done. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place that you're to stay tonight. Jump down to verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they'd taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he'd done at the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we'd crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. They made a memorial. They set up a monument. They put stones in a place so that everyone, anyone that would ever pass by would know that there's a God in heaven that may give impossible things or allow impossible things, but that he will do amazing things through them. That a God is a God that is working for you whether you can see him or not. They made a monument to show that the God of heaven is the powerful God. This morning I ask you this question. What are the monuments in your life? Where are the times that you have seen God working? Family, kids, job opportunities. Where are the monuments? What are they in your life that you can say, God did amazing things there? Up in Georgia, in Plains, Georgia, home of Jimmy Carter, right next to Plains, Georgia is Andersonville. Maybe you've been there before, you've driven through there. Andersonville is, is world known because of its prisoner of war camp during the Civil War. It's a prisoner of war camp that was made for 33,000, uh, sorry, uh, 11,000 prisoners. They stuffed 33,000 prisoners in there. Uh, they were herded in like cattle. And at Andersonville, back in 1864, the only water source was this little trickle of water that would come in underneath the pine tree barriers. It was what fed the, the camp, what gave them water. And on one summer day, the sun was baking. It was so hot. People had been dying because they couldn't keep the human waste out of the water. Ninety people died in one day. And on one hot summer day in Georgia, it gets hot up there too, y'all. One hot summer day, that Georgia red clay dried up. No more water. It's a death sentence to everyone in the camp. There was a group of Christians, Christian prisoners, that said, our God does amazing things when we face the impossible. And they knelt down in the middle of the camp, and they began to pray. And they prayed for hours. And after a while, they heard the sound of thunder coming from the ground. And a spring erupted out of the ground, which saved the entire camp. If you go there today, you can still see pictures of it. This is the monument that sits there. Jessica, you can go ahead with that. There it is. There's the monument. It's still there. 
And if you go down inside the monument, you can see this picture, this next picture here. It's water coming out of the marble rock. It's memorialized. It's a monument to what has happened. You'll see it in a second. There it is. It's still there. It still flows, which tells me that my God can do amazing things in impossible situations. You can see it here. What are the monuments in your life this morning? What are the times when you can look back and say, God did something amazing here? This morning, the singers are going to come up and sing, and we'll close with prayer, but I'm praying that you can see the monuments or see the experiences, and as you do, don't forget to pick up the rocks to build the monuments.